We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys, what's up? What's happening? We are live on a technically it's still chalk talk, but we are sort of pushing further away from discussing X's and O's for a little while. We'll do some of that at some point here. But when we have a pretty important event that takes place for the sort of the sake of what the Browns will be doing this offseason, we always want to get insight into that. So if you haven't been paying attention, the OBR was lucky enough to bring on Ian Valentino here, who's been around the scouting industry for a pretty significant amount of time. Uh, been around drafts, draft guide, draft podcasting, um, done a little bit of everything, Ian. We're excited to have you help us out during this draft season and, um, you know, get the expertise that you bring, man. We we really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Super appreciate it. I uh, love the team that we've got over here. Been a fan for a long time and no better time to jump into it. I mean, with the Browns are where they are and things looking up and a little bit of stability, knock on wood, for the first time in a long time. It's really exciting. It's been really cool to watch uh, from afar. Yeah, they've built it well. I think we can all agree that they are uh, at a point at which they still need to capitalize on the margins is probably the best way to say it. So when you start thinking about how they capitalize on the margins, obviously you're talking about contract restructures, how they go about free agency, every penny matters. There's a lot to dig into there, and we will obviously get to that. But there are sort of these landmarks in the early portion of the off season, it's weird that you're talking off season when the Super Bowl hasn't quite taken place yet, but the senior bowl schedule, the shrine bowl schedule do sort of force our hand into this because otherwise we're talking about it a week later and it's, it's dead and gone and, and, and it's and it's past. So I think that what we should do is uh, anytime these things take place, we need to, even though the Browns are obviously not at the forefront of the draft for the third year in a row, I'm telling you, we're all getting really tired of missing out on draft uh, you know, the ability to draft some guys in the first. And even if you look at the Browns last two years, they haven't taken a guy in the second round either. So you start to get into the idea that the Browns are just this fan base, at least is hungry for some guys uh, in the first and second rounds. And maybe they end up using a second round pick this year. We'll see. But, um, you know, you, you really can overlook these things from the Browns perspective because you're talking about picks 54, another pick in the 80s. You're only talking two top 100 picks. So, we need to dig into who performed well, but not necessarily looking at like the Michael Penixes of the world or those types, right? We're talking guys who relate to potentially being selected by the Browns this um, 
theory I think the Browns have put into practice, which over the last two years they've been able to sort of select in guys that although they are not first-round picks or even second-round picks have some of that impact, right? If you look at Dewan Jones, you look at Martin Emerson, they've done a nice job even though they have been sort of put themselves, you know, not quite in the hole that the L.A. Rams have done where the Rams have still drafted really well on the margins with late-round picks but the Browns have put themselves kind of backs against the wall here. And I think they've come out of it. I think they've come out of it relatively. Okay. I mean, we could, you don't need to kind of go through every single pick they've made, but I think with the opportunities that they sort of took away from themselves to pursue Deshaun Watson, I still don't think they've done a bad job here of acquiring talent. And especially if you can land a starting corner and you can land a potentially, I think we all see Dewan Jones as a right tackle of the future. You're optimistic that they can still, even with pick 54, sort of find somebody that can have a consequence to this upcoming season, right? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely be optimistic on that. I mean, you look at what this regime has done, even guys that maybe we haven't seen blossom into stars or starters like Harrison Bryant. I mean, he was a nice mid-round pickup. I think that they found a, a good blend of contributors with guys that still could be. We haven't seen a lot of Alex Wright. We haven't seen a lot of Isaiah McGuire. Some of that has become to fruition because they've added good veterans. Like I don't want to knock a regime when they can go add Zadarius Smith unexpectedly, you know, in a trade. It's like, if that keeps a rookie or a young guy off the field, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not an indication that that young player isn't ready or that he's not good. It's just that they could get a better player. And I think that the Browns have done a really good job of, uh, of doing that. And so we're going to see this year. I think you're right. The Rams are a really good, uh, example of, uh, of a team that's mastered kind of what they're looking for. And some of that's just been having the same head coach for seven years and growing into what him and that regime want. I would look at it like Tom Telesco. That's someone that hasn't done well. And the Raiders just picked him up as a GM. He's done well with his early round picks, but you look at his late round picks, compare that to what the Browns have done. Telesco's late round picks are generally pretty bad. They're out of the league. They're out of the league pretty quick. And that's the norm. Like that's totally normal. So now with the margins so tight, I think you're right. This is a team where, you're not going to be looking for that seventh rounder to come in and really earn a ton of playing time right away generally. So if you get that, you're going to be over the moon, but you're really hunting for role players. You're looking for the value guys. Would we love to have like a Marcus Colston emerge at some point as a seventh round pick? Oh, of course. Like every team wants that. You want a Puka Nakua in the fifth round. Those guys are the exceptions. We're always hunting those guys, but at the same time we have to be realistic. And sometimes we have to be happy with just a part-time player relative to a guy that in a previous regime the guy may not have even made the final roster. Yeah, and you make a really great point about some of these teams who you're seeing find success, who maybe have put themselves into situations where, you know, something that I don't think Browns fans are very accustomed to, which is this, you know, keeping the same core intact, right? Obviously, the Browns have changed defensive coordinator, but they made a heavy emphasis in that change, Ian. And if you listen to them, that they wanted to replicate some of the things Joe Woods did structurally so that they weren't losing or having that old theory of you're washing out in the bathwater of all the ones you're getting rid of with these coordinators that you're losing talent, letting it leave. I think the Browns are trying to do a very similar thing on the fly here with their offense. And you again, you go look at some of these teams who you're talking about fitting guys into their system. I mean, Okoronkwo, who the Browns signed from – Houston was with LA before that in the midst of some of those later round picks. And like, you want to see these teams like the chiefs, look at the Chiefs' seventh round picks recently, Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco. You're talking about guys who are having a real impact on their roster. So 
you can say, you know, these are just late round picks. Let's not judge them too harshly. But when you are losing ones and twos and only getting into the third, those seventh rounders start to carry value as do your UDFAs. We did see the Browns do relatively well in the UDFA market. I think that's something they're trying to obviously capitalize on a little bit more. The, the, the sort of question I have for you as we start before we dig into the, the players and the performances that you thought stood out, Jim Nagy, the, who runs the Senior Bowl and is as well-connected as pretty much anybody in the draft world, I would say, to at least what people are talking about, had the theory that what's going on in the collegiate ranks, and Ohio State's a great example. All of those young men went back, right? Even the guys at positions of value where we see, uh, I shouldn't say value, they're positions of uh, decreasing NFL value, talking about Travion Henderson as an example, right? So these guys are going back, and Nagy has said that it is having a real impact on the depth quality of the entirety of the draft. And the Browns have, I think, five or more picks after pick 100. Could be wrong on that number. But they have a, a, a real slew of, of opportunities because if you recall last year, they traded a seventh rounder for a future six late in that draft. I believe the Baltimore Ravens were who they traded with. So like they have accumulated Mayfield's pick comes into play this year. I think um, a significant amount of capital later in the draft. I know we're early in the study here. We're two, three months removed from when you ultimately have to know for sure. But do you get the vibe that Nagy is right about this? Do you get the vibe that this is a shorter depth quality? There's good names at the top, and we're talking historic potential wide receiver group here, which might be the, if you, you know, I think that's kind of been the norm over the last, I don't know, a few years because you're talking about so many wide receivers coming into college ball these days ready to go and then just sort of yeah. taking that to the next level. But I guess what I'm getting at is should the Browns be eyeing more taking two 100s for an earlier 100 or using some of this late round capital for uh, an advantageous veteran like trade from somebody like Amari Cooper's type of deal, right? Or, or a Wyatt Teller back in the day type of deal. Should they be eyeing that more than ever? Yeah, it's a great question. And to be honest, I think entering this season, you know, I had the benefit of being director of scouting for pro football network entering the season. So I had my eyes on some of this talent a little bit earlier than what I even normally would. And so um, you know, this class was interesting in the sense of preseason. I was looking at guys like Taj Washington, you know, Brennan Rice, these guys who are generally looked at, you know, third, fourth, fifth round picks right now. Those guys were seventh round picks on my board yeah. at the start of the season because generally you get over 100 underclassmen declaring. We had 54 on the official list this year. So almost cut in half, if not cut in half, based on what we've seen the last couple of seasons. Henderson's almost the best example of that. That's yep. a shocking decision. And I'm happy for Ohio State. You know, I'm happy for Henderson. It's going to be an awesome team next year. You mm -hmm. know, knock on wood, that's going to be great for them. But at the same time, it's just so abnormal. So the NIL has definitely changed things. I think Jim's right. This class has been ravaged on day three. And so now if I'm the Browns, I don't want to take that and and overreact because you bring up a great point about Kansas City. We have to have faith as an organization that we're going to be able to find the Jalen the the uh, you know the Jalen Warrens and be able to go out and get these guys who are stars on day three because we just have to. It's just the the nature of the beast of having an expensive quarterback. But at the same time, we have to be advantageous in our trades. And I think you did a great job. This this regime, you did a great job also bringing up Amari Cooper. Some of the guys that these guys brought in with the cap situation being what it is, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. The margins are going to be a little bit tougher. Obviously, they can always move things around. The cap is real to an extent, but this regime's shown that they've mastered it extremely well.
But if I'm looking in this situation, I think that this roster needs young talent. I'm not going to go super young, and I'm never going to turn down a guy. I'm trying to think of someone as a good example. I don't really have one off the top of my head, but if you can get like a Cooper for a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick, of course, that should be a no-brainer. I think every NFL team undervalues the type of impact that, that deal can do. And Cooper's availability was really the best example of that. Every team in the league should have been in on Cooper. No matter what your concerns were on him, even with the money, DeAndre Hunt, uh, uh, Hopkins last year was another good example. Look at the teams that could have used DeAndre Hopkins, and then they just let him go to a team that had no chance at anything. It's like, do you think the Bills regret that? I think that they do. I'm sure that a couple other yeah. teams are looking at themselves and kicking themselves for that too. So I would always be aggressive with the veteran market. You don't want to overpay into future years for those guys. But in the trade market, I'd rather probably have a, a decent veteran for a six-round pick than someone who you know, is going to have a tough time making a pretty good roster. Now, I think the more interesting part is do you trade up and do you move those picks like you mentioned? That really has me intrigued. Yeah. Generally, I'm not someone who wants to move a lot of assets because I'm a confident evaluator and I've got a million and two misses. Everyone does. But at the same time, I want these young guys to come in and I want one of those five day three picks to really hit. And if two other ones can stick on the roster or make some sort of role, then that's a fantastic draft. But if we get one, we're good. Now, that being said, I'm looking at that second and third round pick, and I'm saying, what if this roster, because of the receiving depth, you mentioned it, or even the tackle depth, if you're looking at that left tackle spot, Dredrick Wills, I know that opinions on him are split. I think that we could all agree that the Browns could probably do a little better long-term than what we've seen. Is it realistic to get an improvement over the next two to three to four years in the second round? In this class, it might be. And the difference between landing that guy and not landing that guy, it might be using your fourth round pick in a trade. It might be packaging uh, some of those day three picks. It might only be moving up three picks, but you don't want to get sniped for that guy. So I do think that the Browns need to be pretty aggressive with those day two picks. I'd actually like to look into moving up. If you start seeing that receiver run early, there's a number of day two guys that will really fit this roster to a T. But if you miss them, then they're gone. Yeah. That's not to say they're not going to be a good player later, but it's just, you know, you're always playing those percentages. You're always playing the odds. It's a little bit tougher in the third round, a little bit tougher in the fourth, fifth round to find that contributor, especially with speed. Unfortunately, Cleveland needs speed at that, yeah. at that position. And that's a really premium uh, price right now for that position. Well, let's, let's talk senior bowl. Let's shift there. Good stuff. As always with that, with that insight, I, I think the senior bowl is unique in that now it's allowing underclassmen to, to participate, right? How, how do you feel about that? Is that something you enjoy now? Or are you like thinking it's again, a necessary evil because the lack, like so many guys going back or like, where do you stand on the senior bowl now being not so senior driven? Yeah. I, you know, I, I love the competition of it. Um, I always want to see those guys come in, but there is something special about seeing the seniors come in and the guys that we've seen produce, Maybe it's one year, maybe it's five years. Right now in college, you could go like eight years because of the, the COVID <laughs> stuff. But yeah. eventually we'll we'll wash out of that, thankfully, and we won't have like super duper seniors. Um, but, you know, a guy like Gabe Hall out of Baylor is a really good example of this. This guy is a, a super senior. He played at Baylor. He was a, a good defensive lineman. He's someone who I had a late round grade on entering the season. Wasn't super bursty. He's like a five tech and a three, four front, or maybe like a str big strong side edge and a four, three front. I'd probably say he's more of like a tackle. Um, but he shows up to the senior bowl and he's not playing in the same scheme anymore. He's not a guy who's being 
told, hey, man, you got to make run run keys first. Stop the run, own your gap. And then if you're lucky, you can kind of shake free and get after the passer a little bit. And he showed a little bit of juice, but he was an intriguing guy. He goes to the senior bowl. He's winning one-on-one reps. He's showing a lot more burst. He's showing, hey, if I'm in a more aggressive scheme, I'm let loose a little bit more, I can do more. And to me, it's not that the underclassmen can't show that, right? Like we saw Austin Booker. He's a third-year sophomore out of Kansas, 6'6", 245. That's a dude that is going to win in those situations because, one, he's going to show he's coachable, which you want to see from a young guy, and he didn't have the time in college to really show that. And, two, he's just going to show out because he's a great athlete. But there is something charming. There's something that completes the story at the senior bowl for these seniors. It's not to take away from someone like Booker's experience, but it really puts a bow on Gabe Hall's career to say, wow, I saw this guy a couple years ago, multiple piece of clay. Now I saw his development as a senior, but then he came to the senior bowl and really brought it. And he did it against guys who are similar body types and NFL caliber body types. That's part of it too, right? Like there's a maturation part when you're at the senior bowl is you're facing other 23 year olds, 24 year olds, as opposed to 18 year olds. So I like, I don't blame anyone for getting these underclassmen in the game. I'm all there. I'm always there for for that competition. But at the same time, I do want to see more seniors. I, I'm there to really see the guys who are either fourth year juniors or, or older. Yeah, and you get you get a great glimpse at these guys. You know, they talk about film will do so much for you because of you know film is great. It's got a lot of advantages. You're obviously looking at certain aspects of a player's game, but you get to challenge the the edges of the talent these guys bring, right? Putting them in the situations that the tape doesn't allow you to things where they're uncomfortable, right? Like you mentioned somebody going from a, you know, a, a shade run gap stuffer to putting them at three tech and letting them kind of let, you know, s- sort of saying, Hey man, whatever you want to do to get home, go ahead. If he's been a press man corner at the college level, then let's try him out as a cover three, you know, uh, you know, b- b- press release type. There's just so many different things. And, these guys only have tape that tells one story, but you get your hands on them and let them let the coaches work with them. It can tell a different story. And I think you've come up with a pretty good list here of guys that are uh, relatively interesting for the Browns and had a good week as well. And then we can talk about some who maybe didn't quite help their stock too at the end. So let's start um, at the top here. I think we have Roman Wilson, right, who had a pretty good season, but it's hard for any wide receiver to thrive in what Michigan does just because the opportunities are so limited. So like, he only has 67 targets and he has 48 catches. So a pretty good reception number given the number of targets, 789 yards and then 12 touchdowns. So a big play guy. And I think that that twitchiness and long speed was on display and mobile. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't re- need to leave that. Hanging. Yeah. <laughs> you're good. You're good. You, we got the clips up. It's awesome. And yeah, he really crushed it. He's a guy we saw a lot, do a lot of uh, crosser routes at Michigan. You know, you got the long play action, have JJ roll out, you find him. you know, 15 yards across the field he can win those all day and that's a great thing for the Browns offense they're going to want that but when you look at the senior bowl what he did he was torching everybody from day one literally as soon as he hit the field through the moment that he got off the field he was one of the best playmakers there he had difference making speed you go into that event saying yeah he's probably a 4-3 guy you walk out of that event say oh he's a low 4-3 guy and he's a guy that you're going to be able to use in a lot different ways than what we saw at Michigan we saw it a little bit earlier in his career there but this past season, they really bottled him up. And then it makes you wonder, it's like, you know, what can you do with this guy? I think he profiles a little bit more as that prototypical number two, as opposed to maybe being a guy who would rotate in. And I kept seeing his stock rise and rise and rise throughout the season, just because he made the most of his opportunities. And at some point it's like, this guy is greater than what he's being given. I thought Mm -hmm. Wilson did a great job. And to me, I'm wondering, is he going to be there for the Browns first pick? I think that he's elevated his status 
to be able to say, is he a top 40 pick at this point? Or is he going to be more of like that 45 to 60 range uh, where Cleveland's currently at? Yeah, it's interesting with him is that he is um, he's more of a, you know, body size wise. He's like six foot one ninety two. I'll be interested. In, what, what did he, I don't know what he officially uh, checked in at, but but I, I don't he's not a very big guy, but he's built. Sturdy, he's not afraid of contact. Certainly, what I like is his ability to uh, to play in the slot. I mean, I think the Browns have tried to take guys who have been outside players and convert them. Cedric Tillman, David Bell's, and Elijah Moore. Where I, I I've been pretty vocal on the podcast here that I think they took too long to figure out he's a a slot body, but he's an outside Z or X receiver. Um, but a guy like Wilson who has 172 slot snaps in 2022, 206. You're talking about like 80% of his snaps coming in the slot. That's the stuff that you like. And I think that is still a part of the Browns offense that they need to figure out a little bit more of. And Ken Dorsey, who's one of the highest option route using uh, coordinators. I, I mean, I don't know how heavily he's going to impact that stuff, but I just think it's a position when you look at where the Browns can get better. Again, we talked about it earlier on the margins, a real productive slot receiver would go a long way for these guys. Do you agree with that? I do. And you're getting that and more with Wilson, which is nice because you saw someone like Taquan Jackson uh, from Tulane, who's a pure slot receiver, right? And those guys don't cost a lot. Those guys are fifth, sixth round picks. There's nothing wrong with that. I think this offense could use it, but you nailed it right on the head about uh, Elijah Moore. That's exactly what you're going to be getting out of Roman Wilson, what they thought they'd be getting out of uh, out of Elijah when they got him. And I think you need both of those dynamics. I think you need both of those skill sets. I think Wilson, what makes him special is he can do them both. And having that versatility to be able to move him around and will only help everyone else down the depth chart fall into more natural roles. And I think that's a big part of this offense is you, you felt it throughout the year where it's like, who's that number two that they can – find explosive plays out of it ended up being David and Joku, which is great. But now you're going to be asking the question moving forward into next year, who's the number two or number three that's going to continue building that pecking order. I think Wilson has that ability. He's just, he's a big catch radius guy. So quick to react, great body control, great hands. We saw it throughout the season, just being able to make, and you saw it in one of the clips there, like just being able to react to that ball. I think too, part of it is creating separation for, for uh, Deshaun Watson. That's going to be a big part of what determines next season's success is who can create separation and earn that trust of Watson. And I think Wilson, he showed it at Michigan. He showed it all the week last week. Quarterback play wasn't great at the, at the senior bowl um, all week, despite the guys that were there um, being pretty talented. So I think he was definitely a winner. Well, let's talk Lad McConkey next because it's another guy, similar body type, right? He doesn't, you see the physical six foot one eighty five, pretty similar to Wilson, not a big guy, but he gets this sort of like Andy Isabella or some of these other, and it's not, it is what it is, man. Like white wide receivers, they are shifty Wes Welker types, uh, Julian Edelman types, but he brings a rare ability to do both. Like he's not just a shifty nuanced route runner. He can really run, which yeah. if you're a guy who can use not the track speed, but actually has, long speed in pads to run away from people. That's something Elijah Moore doesn't have. He doesn't have that keen ability to make people miss after the tackle. He can separate and that has a place in the NFL. If you can separate, you can make rosters, but the guys who then separate themselves, no pun intended, are those who can create after the catch and those who can run away from people after receiving it. This is where I think McConkey is a guy who can do some of that stuff. The question just becomes what's 
his value to the league? Do you see him as a back half of the first, like 25 to 32, early second? Or do you see a world in which he's available in the 50s where the Browns could actually land him? Yeah, I think in the right offense, especially if you were to look at you know the McVay tree, the Shanahan tree, I actually think McConkie could go late first round. I mean, you look at Miami, they could use Lad McConkie. They desperately need a third receiver. This is the exact type of guy who would make a huge impact on their roster. Just effortless, effortless mover. You could see it in all of his clips, the way he uh, creates it just explosiveness with quick moves. I mean, you don't even, it's not even like he has to load up. It's just almost like a basketball player who can double jump on command and go for a rebound. And that really reminds me of what McConaughey does is like his quickness is just effortless and it's instantaneous. And so I don't think that a team would invest the late first rounder. I think that some teams could use him, but like any team could really talk themselves into a good player at a certain place at a position of need. At some point though, it's just, you just can't do that type of thing because it's not how you build rosters in the NFL. To me, he's like a top of the second round guy. I don't think he's going to be there where Cleveland is, but that's where you might want to talk about packaging those picks top of the second round. You've got teams like Atlanta, you've got the Raiders, a bunch of these teams who could use a new number two, potentially like really high end number three receiver. Who's going to play right away. He's going to, be able to produce right away too. And I think that's a big perk, uh, especially as teams, they might look to trade down because of this draft class is a little bit unique too. just do teams want to load up for next year. I think he's going to be a target. I don't know that late first round, you're looking at the teams there, you know, maybe Kansas city, but I think Kansas city might want someone who's a little bit bigger, a little bit more, a little bit thicker. Uh, that's yeah. probably the best way I'd say it with McConkie because you worry about him going over the middle a little bit as you do with any sub 200 pound receiver. So he's someone, I think he'd probably be number one on my board. If I'm the Browns, if he's there, I'm probably taking him no matter what. And I'd be looking to trade up for him. Uh, but there are some similar types and Wilson's a similar type. So it's not like you're going to be totally heartbroken if uh, both, if one of those guys are gone. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm trying to kind of keep these moving on the fly. So, so McConkie interesting, like we said, the ability to, do a little bit of everything, right? The ability, like you said, it's not just understanding where to get to in a route. It's what little shifts of the weight, right? How your feet work and intertwine everything. He's, he's a very interesting prospect. His testing will be fascinating. Now, a little bit lower value, I think a guy that's obviously not going to go maybe, maybe has a chance in a late day too. But if you're looking for somebody who brings I think some interesting elements to the position and he's, he's definitely got the ability to make people miss and he's got the ability to, to, to bring in difficult, one of the more impressive catches in the entire college football season last year, that's Ricky Pearsall. So talk, talk a little bit about, he was an Arizona state guy for three years and then goes to Florida and he's put up some pretty good production his last three years. Yeah. He's probably like a 90 percenter of McConkey and Wilson in that type of mold. I, I think he's, more consistent in terms of catch radius. Uh, he has some of the best mitts in the class. Like finding drops of this guy is almost impossible. Like he, outside of being injured a little bit, 2022, uh, when, he, when he was with Anthony Richardson, he had a little bit of an injury stint there. Take that little stint out where he had some drops. This guy is money. You move him into the slot. You can move him outside. He's got the deep speed where you can threaten defenses vertically. But I think you put him in the slot and you're really going to benefit from his ability to extend plays win off of those extended plays if you want him on quick slants quick outs he's going to create some separation there he's pretty good he's pretty quick he's not like the fastest he's not the quickest but he's going to be in that upper echelon and to me he's 
he's only forgotten because his class has such a deep receiving core. Like, I don't think it's normal to see this type of receiving class where you have probably four guys who could generally make the claim for a number one receiver in most draft classes, but that trickles down. Like, it's not like there's a big drop after that too. You could see 10 receivers really go pretty quickly by the middle of the second round. And that's pretty abnormal. I think Pearsall is a guy who look at like the Troy Franklin, you know, those types. It's like, he's not quite to that level of a vertical threat. He doesn't quite have that hip explosiveness. He doesn't quite have that pure speed and the ability to deal with the physicality through routes. But for a third or fourth round pick, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get some guys with some flaws. You just got to put them in the position to succeed. I mean, yeah, the, the picture of this catch is one hand and catch. It just really encapsulates his game. Like he is a hundred percent effort. He's, you know, probably going to, I think his three cones going to be one of the better in this class for sure. And that's what I've been begging to see out of this Browns offense is who can you put on an Island? You can space them out a little bit, either it's on the red zone or, you know, it's on uh, just goal to go situations, third and go situations. It's being able to just juke a defender, right. And create a little bit of space, give Deshaun Watson that ability to throw to the sideline or wherever it is and let that receiver go get it. He's that type of player. I think he's going to definitely be, unless if he's drafted, like, a full round earlier than what we all expect. I think he'll outproduce most expectations. I'm with you. I'm very intrigued by him, man, in, in terms of like we can't get him, you can't get the receiver you want in the 50s, right, is being able to maybe go get him moving into the 70s or something along those lines if, you, if you're if you really in love with him. I, I, I it's an, He's an effortless mover. The testing is going to be fascinating. And like you said, the mitts really play. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Let's switch over defense. Let's talk Darius Robinson. We know the Browns took Isaiah McGuire, a defensive lineman from Missouri last year. A heck of a run here in Mobile for Robinson, right? Yeah, he might have been the biggest winner of any def- any player in Mobile. Um, he's an interesting body type, but I really think he fits what the Browns look for, or at least what they've chased with the last couple of free agent veteran moves. They've been looking for like that bigger defensive end, Darius Smith, uh, obviously Jadavian Clowney. I think Darius Robinson's right in that mold, and I think Clowney's going to be a pretty good comp for him. Hopefully, you know, he stays healthier. But this is a bigger dude. 285 pounds he's six foot three so he's well built I mean you look at him the dude's just rocked up and he's got an NFL body right now I thought on tape I thought he was a day two type of prospect and and you don't want to significantly change your grade based off of one week of practices but he was dominant I mean he showed off everything that you wanted to see he was doing a much better job staying balanced coming out of his out of his stance he wasn't getting ahead of himself too much there were times I thought at tape where He just didn't really know what to do. He was just like, I'm a really good athlete and I'm really strong. I'm just going to bank on that consistently. And and he was making a ton of plays doing it. But then you saw him against some of the other teams, some of the better competition that Missouri played. And it was like, okay, you see those moments where it's like, you're just not going to be able to get away with that at the NFL. He came to the the senior bowl addressing that. He came in saying, okay, I'm going to tie my my moves together. I'm going against some of the best tackles in the draft. I'm going to not only engage with the plan, but I'm going to have a counter ready. He's not like Lyle Latu, Latu, who is like just a trick demon as a pass rusher, but this is someone who's 40 pounds heavier and a lot better against the run. You can move him up inside to tackle if you want to. If he's a strong side edge, he's going to hold up against the run. He's got quickness to win from inside. He's got the speed to win outside. Is he the you know is he a top fifteen guy? I don't think so. I don't think he's that level of bender. I don't think he has that ankle flexion. But he's also probably twenty pounds heavier than most guys who get you know routinely compared to in that range. And so I think looking at him, what's your expectation of him? Seven to eight sacks a year. Is that worth a late first round pick? Absolutely. I think you absolutely take that, especially if someone can contribute in the in the run game. So can you move up to get him? I don't know that you want to give up that much. It's a little bit unfortunate that he did so well because I think he was going to be right where the Browns were uh, prior to this week. If he starts falling and you're within a couple picks, that's where we talked about, maybe you move your fourth-round pick to be able to move up for Robinson. 
And then what's the plan for year one, right? Like how much of a role is he going to have? You already kind of have a deep room. It's just one of those guys that you want to keep a pulse on to say, if he's near us, we might be able to move for him. Yeah. And can bump inside a little bit of uh, some action, uh, you know, kind of lining in that wide, wide nine front kind of almost playing that four eye rushing from inside is a nice aspect too. Next is um, I think it's Chris Braswell, right? The, um, yep. the, the, the least talked about Alabama edge that you'll find in a while. Yeah, right. Like these guys mostly come out with uh, with bad knees and shoulders, but uh, we're hoping Braswell's not not the next Alabama defender to uh, to bite the bullet on those concerns. But he's he he had a really nice week. He's a power more of a power rusher. He's not the most dynamic athlete, but man, he was productive and he really took advantage of playing around and playing on the opposite side of some really great defensive ends at Alabama. We know about Will Anderson. Dallas Turner is going to be a guy who's going to probably go top fifteen next this this upcoming draft as well. Braswell, I mean, you can see it in the clips. That guy plays with power. He knows his limitations. He's not much of a speed rusher. He's got some speed, but he's going to go in for power. He's going to get inside that pad level. He's going to make things uncomfortable. He wins with leverage. It's one of the perks of maybe not being one of those giant 6'5", 6'6", defensive ends. He knows he can dip his hips and explode up through the pads, drive a guy back, and then immediately be able to disengage, get to the quarterback. It's littered throughout his film. It's it's what he did all season long, was super productive with it. This is one of those examples of a guy who knows what he's good at, and he's just going to keep doing it, and he doesn't have to have a full toolbox right away to be able to make an impact. But he is someone that you're going to want to develop over time. Now, can he be a situational guy? You take him in the third or fourth round, probably that third round pick. I think that's where you're going to find him go. Is he good enough? to outrace some of his you know, peers that are now entering year three, year four on the Browns roster. That's going to be the key question for him. Yeah, that, that that type of guy that gets to the third, fourth, usually a one-trick pony, but they're really good at it, right? And if you can be really good at that, you have a chance to make a roster, and ultimately you can use that to be an effective player. I think that sort of third, fourth-round mold is a, is a Darius Smith example, right, where you can get that player who can develop and – I think the Browns are trying to do as much of that as they can, again, operating on those tight margins with people like McGuire, people like maybe a Brown, uh, a Braswell, right? I think that can make sense. All right. Um, let's talk DB. I know the Browns don't take, uh, probably aren't in the mood to take another corner, but but if if this comes to be, it's like maybe we should just say they're going to take one every single year until they don't, right? Because uh, they've done so well. This is one of the spots that they are, they're quite clearly really good at drafting so yeah let's let's talk about jarvis brownlee jr here yeah it's hard not to darius robinson and it was uh, jarvis brownlee those two dudes were the guys that you walked away from this week saying these guys might have really pushed themselves up almost like a full round if not more brownlee wasn't a guy that a lot of people talked about during the season he was you know he, he played fine he, he was a good player uh, but he's a little bit smaller like 170 pounds he's going to be a guy who probably moves into the slot the next level but he was dominant in every phase that we saw throughout the week Probably the best second, I would say the second best. Quinion Mitchell might have put himself in the top 15 overall because you mentioned like what we don't see during the season is guys maybe playing in certain schemes. Well, Brownlee was that type of guy. We didn't see him pressing a ton at Louisville. They played a lot of off coverage. He kind of moves around a little bit. He comes to the senior bowl. He's like a press savant. He has like great footwork. He's getting tips on on Twitter, getting advice, immediately incorporates it into the next day, plays even better. Um, just someone that really showed great spatial awareness as well, like totally confident in his body, got great quickness, very quick feet, great reaction ability. This interception that he had on Sam Hartman is one of the craziest plays I think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a corner with no help over the top from the slot drop into the flat for a curl route 
and play the curl route so aggressively that he's in front of the receiver like that. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of confidence that it takes to do that. And it's risky. Sure. But like when you're a playmaker, another example right there, I mean, he's just, he's running that dig for him. Yep, exactly. And it's like that level of confidence. It's very, very unique. It's going to get you burned sometimes. I mean, Asante Samuel made a career of that, but at the same time, there's value to those type of players. And I'm, I'm wondering for Cleveland and, I don't know, right? But I do wonder. It's like if they potentially want to get off of a Greg Newsom before they have to pay him, do they want to maybe get ahead of that, maybe add an asset, someone like that? I'm not saying that they should, but if they think about it, then all of a sudden you're maybe looking at Brownlee and saying, well, maybe we should take him in the third round, get a high-end slot corner. We've seen what this defense values. It, yep. it, I wouldn't rule it out, right? Like it, it takes some things to get there, but he was certainly a winner to make, the. I think, Cleveland at least think about saying, at a certain point in the draft, this guy's going to be a value. Yeah, I mean, collegially with a uh, hundred snaps in the slot, I mean, there's like plenty of room there to continue to get better at it. And if you do take Newsom as a guy, you can move somewhere strength for strength and try to recreate him. Uh, Brownlee's a guy that you're interested in, very natural at it there at the Senior Bowl, and it's pretty pretty dang enticing when you watch some of his tape. How he's able to just feel feel what's coming with some of these routes, man. That's that's an innate thing. So definitely a name to keep an eye on. Now we shift down to running back a little bit. So we start with, um, uh, I think it was at South Carolina first before he we went to USC, right? Marshawn Lloyd, let's, let's break him down a little bit because the Browns are going to be, for good or bad here, man, we just talked about it. I talked about it on the pod. Like they're going to have to be considering running backs and, and um, you know, it's not the best class to do it, but there can be some opportunities late here to get somebody of significance, right? Yeah. It seems like this class, you know, there's not an RB one, maybe, you know, per se, I think Henderson probably would have been the top running back had he come out, but even then you're probably talking like a late second round pick. Uh, It's tough to say that there was someone in here that was going to be a superstar, but I really like Marshawn Lloyd. I loved him coming out from South Carolina over to USC and he didn't disappoint. He really reminds me actually of Kareem Hunt. He's a guy who can catch the ball. He runs in like a chaotic manner where his limbs are kind of just kind of crazy, but he's got a lot of power. He's got really good quickness for his size. He's a smaller, lower pad level type of player. He plays aggressively. He'll take liberties, though. He's someone that's going to find his own hole at times. He might pass up that dedicated run lane, and he's going to kick it outside because he knows that he's quicker, and he feels like he's faster than most. And, and look, you put him on an island with a DB, I feel bad for the DB because he's going to, to kind of power through him. He's not like a Marshawn Lynch, but he's almost in a way – a, a less dynamic version of that. So you, that to me is a really good number two running back. It's someone that profiles to me. It could be a solid, you know, RB one on the right situation. It's not going to be like, you know, pro bowlers. I mean, Nick Chubb here, but it's someone who's going to, when he takes what's available to him, he's solid. The question is, does he take what's there for him enough? Because when he gets creative, it's worth it. But as with any back, most guys can't, you know, make, something out of nothing every single time he's not that type of back but i really like him third fourth round third round might be a little rich for cleveland but i think if he falls into the fourth round he's going to probably test really well i think with his his quickness and his 40 time relative to his size Uh, so i think he'll probably settle in that third round it just might be too rich but i do think cleveland needs to consider hey can jerome ford be our guy next year if nick chubb's not 100 percent ready that's a little scary to me i'd be looking at someone like lloyd i think he'd be a great fit for the offense i'm just not sure about the cost well, let's talk about another one, Amani Bailey, who's going to be, um, uh, and again, there's plenty of names here to talk running back-wise, and we can dig into a lot of them, but he's going to be another one that they look at, and he had a really a really strong performance. 
Yeah, he did. So I thought during the game, he really stood out more than anything. He was a breakout guy. He was a nobody a year ago. Had like 250 yards to his name. Takes over the starting job, even though um, TCO had gotten in the, uh, Trey Sanders from Alabama. And I think everyone expected Trey Sanders to to be the guy there at TCU. Was not the case. Bailey took his spot immediately. But you look at that first drive. This guy's making the strong cuts. He's making the right reads. He's feeling out the game. He's, he can catch balls out of the backfield. And I actually think TCU could have done a lot more in that. He did. He looked pretty smooth in the drills this week. I will say, like running backs are a little bit tough to judge when you're in Mobile because they don't do a lot. You know, pass blocking. It's it's very controlled, and they're lining up against linebackers one on one with like a three stout uh, three stem release. It's really hard for linebackers to look decent there. If a running back doesn't look good in that situation, it says a lot more about them. But yeah. Bailey looked good in those drills. He he at least looked natural as a pass catcher, and I think that he's got good power. He's only two hundred and seven pounds, but he doesn't look it. He doesn't play like it. He plays pretty physically because he is a shorter guy, so he likes to get low. He'll dip those hips. He can explode forward. He's not like the a four three guy. But he's going to carve teams up. You look at those zone plays, and man, he's money at getting through them. Then you look at the strength of the Browns, which is creating holes for their. You know, obviously next year we're hoping the team's a little bit healthier, so the run game will be a little bit better. But this offensive line can get back to where it was. Bailey's going to take exactly what's there and add just a little bit more. If you can get that fourth or fifth round value, which is where I think he'll go, I think he'll be a really tremendous pickup for the right team. Let's real quick before we move to a couple names from the Shrine Bowl, um, which is obviously a, a, the less talented of the of the two. Let, let's just who who hurt themselves this week? Are there guys you saw coming in as targets that that failed? I know I feel like Tez Walker, the U.S. Or sorry, North Carolina wide receiver, has been a heavily discussed name, and obviously the so probably some stuff around the quarterbacks. But are there any guys that you thought Browns radar? Now I'm like mm, I don't know about that guy anymore. Yeah, I think Tez is going to be the most obvious one with the drops. I mean, you just you can't not be able to play through physicality. You can't not be able to bring some passes in. It just plagued him most of the week. I thought he played pretty well Thursday in his practices. He was getting open. He was showing more confidence. I actually named him as a winner in my piece for Thursday, but like Tuesday and Wednesday were bad, and then the game was bad. He dropped like three deep balls, and it was just like that's not the guy who we saw at North Carolina. It's not the guy that we saw uh, prior to that, and I'm just hoping that that's not going to be the issue moving forward, right? Like it almost reminds you of like a Will Fuller type where it's like there's at some point where the drops are so problematic that you can't really justify playing the guy. Like Fuller wasn't quite there because he was so explosive, but he did get there eventually. Like by the time he got to Miami, that's who he was because some of that explosiveness had dipped. You look at when Tez is 175 pounds, like, the guy has to be able to be money on these deep balls, though. So I think I think he's a better player than what he showed this week, but I do think he hurt himself. I was a little bit worried that he wouldn't fall to Cleveland in that second round. Now I feel pretty confident he'll probably be on the board there. And, and Cleveland's going to have to think about that. Like, I don't know if, that, if that's going to be the right fit for them. Um, another guy I'd be looking at, Javon Foster. How much does this team, I mentioned it, how much does the team want to invest into a potential left tackle of the future? I think Javon Foster, I was hoping to see a little bit more out of him. He's a left tackle out of Missouri. He's a good player, but to me, he's a little bit better of a run blocker than he is a pass blocker. He's got good physical tools, but not elite physical tools. He was really struggling on an island, which it's it's built that way, right? Like the offensive tackle is not in a position of strength in these drills, but then you saw a lot of these other tackles play pretty well. So it's hard when you look at, you know, one of the deepest tackle tra- drafts I can remember in history. And then you see Foster. It's like, well, Foster looks like a mid-rounder. He looks like someone that's not going to be ready uh, at least for a year. And so that might have hurt him just a little bit. Now does he go second? Does he go third round? Is he yeah. in that spot? 
you know, Cleveland losing, obviously, the offensive line coach and Callahan. It, you know, casts a little bit more doubt, right? Like, I, th- I think that, that, you know, whoever's going to take over there is going to do a fine job. But it, there's these little question marks, and I think Cleveland really needs to ask themselves, like, is this our guy? Same thing with, like, Xavier Leggett, like, from South Carolina. Rough week from him. He had some moments. I thought Wednesday looked good. But then Tuesday and Thursday were so bad. <laughs> Again, it was almost yeah. like the Tez Walker thing where it's like he just looks raw. He's a raw guy, and he came out as a super senior um, his, he didn't break out until this past year. It's like, that's not what you want to see. You don't want to see this older player who was two inches shorter than what he was measured, you know, or what he was, you know, listed at. It's just like a, it cascades, right? Like it leaves kind of a sour taste in your mouth. You have to go back to the film and say, look, he is a good football player. He is explosive, but is he better than Cedric Tillman? And I don't think that he is. I think we got our answer in Mobile to say, I'm probably more confident now in Tillman. And I liked both of these guys, but he needed yeah. to go in and really grab the bull by the horns to be able to say, I'm a second round option for the Browns. I don't think we're at that point anymore with him. It's fascinating. Good stuff, Ian. Let's close two names from the uh, Shrine Bowl that you really thought showed up and showed out. Let's start with, uh, I think we're starting with Blake Watson out of, Missouri, out of Memphis. Yeah. So th- this class is just unique. Like, There's not many backs. Most of these backs, especially in the all-star games, were third down backs. They're pass catchers. They're 200 pounds. They're slashers. Um, They're more of guys that you're not going to be investing in uh, to be more than a backup. And I don't think Cleveland has that issue. I mean, I think that you could use like a better backup, but I don't think it's like we're entering this draft needing, you know, Dylan Lobb out of New Hampshire. He's a nice player, but I don't think he's like going to be someone that's going to be a huge target. Blake Watson, 6'1", 220 pounds. Average over five and a half yards per carry at, at Memphis. He came from Old Dominion before that. Super productive player, can do it all. He's not the fastest guy, right? But for his size, he has good quickness. He's really good between the tackles, has good contact balance. He's going to keep pushing forward. He knows how to play the position, and he's a pretty good receiver, pretty good athlete overall. And I'm surprised that he was actually at the Shrine Bowl. Like, no disrespect to the Shrine Bowl, but like, I think Watson was good enough to be at the senior bowl. Like he probably would have been my RB three at the senior bowl had he gone there. So mm-hmm. to me, he's someone that could be definitely a quality RB two. Um, I thought he really stood out. I mean, to me, he looked like a guy that's going to be an NFL back and the shrine bowl has like a number of guys who they're going to be fighting for rosters. And I don't think that he looked anything like that. I thought he was a guy like, Oh no, he's for sure going to be making a final roster next year. Yeah, impressive fluidity. I really did like watching some of his highlights from that game. Let's uh, let's keep moving on. We got a one DB as we close out here. So um, go ahead on this one. Yeah, so Dadrian Taylor Demerson out of Texas Tech, super productive player over the last three years. Texas Tech had a really fun secondary to watch. They had two six three corners um, that were out there, and they just had some veterans going all over the place. And so uh, Taylor Demerson, you know, he's 5'11", 195 pounds. He's not the biggest dude. He's a guy that just plays really well, and he's got the versatility. He can play in the slot. He can play too high in shells. He's really comfortable doing that. He's he's pretty good tackler. I think overall he's not someone that's going to be like a hammer or anything like that, but I don't think Cleveland necessarily needs someone like that. They obviously have some pretty physical safety play already, and they also don't necessarily need like a true free safety because they generally haven't played uh, too dependently on that over the last couple of years, especially last year with Schwartz. And so I think – the question is for them, it's like, what do you want the secondary to be? And to me, if you want it to be a little bit more versatile, if you, if you maybe want to have some depth of someone who can play safety or in the slot, to me, it's going to be Jadrian Taylor uh, Demerson. To me, he's probably going to be like a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. Good player, can at least 
fill a role at the very least. He's going to be a high end backup, but I think he could probably be a rotational player. Um, he's got good range. I don't know that he's going to test, you know, jump out the gym. I don't think he's going to run out the gym either. He's probably going to be like a high, high to mid four or five guy. That's totally fine though with safeties. Like we've seen guys who are average athletes at the position just be really good in the NFL. I think he'll be a good solid player. It will not surprise me one bit if he turns into a good starter. Yeah, 813 snaps in the slot, 1,489 at free safety. So, you know, we're obviously talking about some guys as we get later on, and these are fifth-year players. They've been around a little bit. That's, like you said, a byproduct of a lot of these guys early in their career dealing with the COVID season. But that's good experience, man. That's good experience and good versatility. And, um, look, a lot of names. Ian Ian dropped a lot of names for us here, a lot of knowledge from the Senior Bowl and, and the Shrine Bowl. And, he wrote up uh, a significant amount of this stuff too. If you're interested at the OBR to check that content out, it's all available. You can find it all there. Um, but, but again, this is the type of coverage we're looking for. And I know our Pete Smith was there too. And Pete provided some really good analysis as well. And we'll continue to be ongoing with some of this stuff as well. Talking through prospects that we care about. We'll obviously get our next very important nugget of information at the combine, which will come up at the end of this month. And, and we'll have a little bit more of a full picture of who some of these guys are. So it's exciting stuff. We're in the very early part of the off-season draft process, but we we learned a good amount about these guys. So, Ian, we thank you for taking the time for us, man. Man, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. always love talking about these guys. Can't wait, man. Draft season's the best there is. It really is. So our last one that we got to go through where we're not really as involved as we'd like to be, but – We'll, uh, we'll push through and find some prospects for the Browns to draft, largely driven by guys work like Ian. So make sure you're reading it at the OBR. We're going to have some daily mock draft stuff coming up soon, and then we're going to have our usual weekly mock drafts too. So a lot of stuff will be hitting the front page before you know it. So, again, shout out to Ian. Thanks to, uh, to him for taking the time to be here with us. And for you guys taking the time out of your evening, morning, or whenever you're listening to this, whether you watched it live with us, which we appreciate, or you're listening to the replay on the podcast channel. Thanks for that, guys. As always, be well and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.